Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Well, good morning. It's a privilege to preach to you from God's Word. If you were here last Sunday, you would remember that Pastor Baker preached a sermon on the second person in the Trinity, Jesus Christ. And his sermon was titled, God of God, Light from Light Eternal. Speaking about um, how Jesus, the Son of God, was begotten, not made, and one with the Father before all worlds, from John 1. And this week's title comes from the next line of the same song, the song being, O come all ye faithful. And the next line is, Lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb. Which is about Christ's condescension out of his love for mankind that he had created. For the scripture says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus, who is God, came to earth and demonstrated his love to mankind, for mankind, by humbling himself and becoming a man. And he humbled himself in the biggest, best way. He went into the womb of a mother, a sinner, a woman. Nothing would be more humbling than to become a helpless tiny baby inside the womb of a mother. And that's what he did. He did not abhor the virgin's womb. What I hope that you will have your eyes open to today is God's tremendous love for the creature he created. So much so that he lowered himself and dwelled in the most vulnerable place the womb of a mother, and to be at her mercy, to be fed by her and nursed by her, dressed by her, taught by her, and everything else that a a mother does. The Lord has done an amazing thing that we can hardly comprehend. And we have only to love Him and submit to Him and be thankful. And so now let's read what God has done in sending His Son, His only Son, to be born to save the nations. You can turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, verse 26, or follow on the screen. I'll read through verse 56. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. 
and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who is called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now at this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth, had, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bondslave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear Him. He has done mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to his servant. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. Now, Mary was from a town called Nazareth in Galilee. It wasn't considered a favorable place. Even Galileans looked down on Nazareth. And Scripture tells us this. In John 1, when Philip was speaking to Nathanael, who was a Galilean, Philip said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of David, or sorry, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. So there you have a Galilean man. Remember, Nazareth was in Galilee. And this man, Nathanael, looked down on Nazareth. Now, the region of Galilee itself was also known as Galilee of the Gentiles. And the reason for this is not only because of the heathen lands that surrounded um, Galilee, Galilee, but also because pagan immigrants replaced the large Israelite population when they were carried away captive to Assyria. This is from 2 Kings uh, 15 and 17. Therefore it was called Galilee of the Gentiles. 
Now Galilee was in the northern part of Israel, and below Galilee was Samaria, which was also despised by the Jews. Because racially they were not pure, and they served their own gods. And it was in this region under the leadership of Sambalot, the governor of Samaria, who sought to prevent Nehemiah from rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. And then below Samaria was Judea, where Bethlehem and Jerusalem were. And so if you wanted to be in the in-crowd of the Jews, you wanted to be in Judea, where Bethlehem and Jerusalem were. Um, Galilee was a ways away. It was about 90 miles, so from Galilee down to Judea. It's easy for me to think of New Jersey. It works well. New Jersey, North Jersey, South Jersey, it's about 90 miles. Except the difference is that most of the Jews are in North Jersey, the the wealthy ones, that is, as opposed to South Jersey. Um, But you get the point. Nazareth was a nothing kind of place where nothing good ever came from, so to speak. But boy, did things get turned upside down. Let's get back to Mary. Mary was from a humble place that was despised by many. She was from David's line. She was engaged to Joseph, a godly man, who was also of um, David's lineage. And I say he was godly because Scripture says so. Matthew 1.19 says that when Joseph found out she was pregnant, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, he planned to send her away secretly. He cared for her and protected her. He understood sin. He understood Mary as a sinner and cared for her as such. He also worked, he provided, and he cared for his family. He was a godly man. Now Mary was quite young. Some say she was about the age of 14 at the time Christ was born. But she was a young woman of faith. She had sins and fears, just as you and I do, and she had faith. On another note, but not insignificant, her name comes from the name Miriam, which means exalted. And it's beautiful to see how God worked through Mary, even to exalt himself through this young woman, who was of lowly estate, and he blessed her forever. Now, here is a very important detail about Mary that you must understand. Mary was a sinner. She was a sinner in need of a Savior. How do we know this? Well, the Bible says so. It says, there is none who is righteous, not even one. Should we add, except the Virgin Mary? Should we say there is none who is righteous except the Virgin Mary? No, never. But this is what the Roman Catholic Church does. They say that Mary was immaculately conceived. The heretical doctrine of the immaculate conception isn't referring to Jesus, as many of us have long thought. It is about Mary. 
in the Roman Catholic Confession of Faith, I believe they call it their catechism, they proclaim, quote, Through the centuries, the church has become ever more aware that Mary, full of grace, through God, was redeemed from the moment of her conception. That is what the dogma of the Immaculate Conception confesses as Pope Pius IX proclaimed in 1854, quote, the most blessed Virgin Mary was from the first moment of her conception by a singular grace and privilege of Almighty God and by virtue of the merits of Jesus Christ, Savior of the human race, preserved immune from all stain of original sin. End quote. Preserved from all stain of original sin. Later in the same confession it says, quote, from the instant of her conception, she was totally preserved from the stain of original sin, and she remained pure from all personal sin throughout her life. End quote. Concerning Mary's assumption, their confession also says that she was taken up, body and soul, into heavenly glory and exalted by the Lord as queen over all things, so that she might be the more fully conformed to her son. And then this prayer follows in that confession. In giving birth, you kept your virginity. In your dormition, you did not leave the world, O Mother of God, but were joined to the source of life. You conceived the living God, and by your prayers will deliver souls from death. Brothers and sisters, this is a lie. This magnifies man, not God. In fact, this doctrine lowers God rather than exalts Him. The truth is, God, the Son, condescended, became a man, and dwelt in the womb of a sinner. He took on the most vulnerable station by becoming a tiny baby in the womb of a sinner, utterly vulnerable and reliant upon his mother. And that's condescension that exalts God. But the Roman Catholic Church wants to take this away from God and exalt Mary. Why? Because who would you rather go to when you've sinned? Would you rather go to your mother or your father? We want our mother to talk to our father, to mediate for us when we've done wrong. Let our mother bear the brunt of our father's blow. But let me go on. They say, quote, But while in the most blessed virgin, the church has already reached that perfection, whereby she exists without spot or wrinkle, the faithful still strive to conquer sin and increase in holiness. And so they turn their eyes to Mary. In her, the church is already the all-holy. The church is already the all-holy in her. Things that make you go, what? It's just crazy. Now listen, brothers and sisters, this is a false gospel. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There is no text or concept 
in all of Scripture where we may conclude that we are made all holy through Mary, or that our souls would be delivered from death by her prayers. In the book of Acts, the Scripture says, quote, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other name. We don't get a special in to Jesus through Mary. It isn't true. And there is no scripture to support it. Remember, what can wash our way, away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus is our in. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one has access to the Father but through Him. So Mary is neither a mediatrix nor a co-redemptrix, as she has been called. There is only one mediator and one redeemer. There are no co-redeemers or co-mediators. Mary was not and is not who they say she was and is. Mary had original sin, and she was a sinner just like you and me. And so now let's come back to our scripture. Look at verse 28. It says, And coming in, the angel said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at the statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, why would he say to her, do not be afraid? What's the only reason to say such a thing? Because she was afraid. She had anxieties just like we have. Or else, she should have said to Gabriel, Oh, Gabriel, you don't have to say that to me. I'm not afraid. I'm sinless. Oh, right, Mary. I'm sorry, I forgot. I just do this so many times, I... You know, I forget. No, he dealt with her with compassion as a sinner. That's how the angel dealt with her, as a sinner. And she was humble, perplexed, pondering, inquisitive. She said, how can this be since I am a virgin? And Gabriel responded saying that the Holy Spirit will come upon her. He encouraged her. He strengthened her faith, saying, And even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. In other words, he's saying, Although you should feel alone in this miracle, as if no one will understand what has happened, your relative Elizabeth will share in the joy of God's kindness, since God has also done great things for her. And then the angel assures her all the more, saying, for nothing will be impossible with God. No doubt this statement meant a great deal to her. With her knowledge of Scripture, she may have recalled what had happened with her forefather Abraham and Sarah when the Lord promised to Abraham that at this time next year they would have a son. And God said, is anything too difficult for the Lord? 
Mary was undoubtedly encouraged and strengthened in her faith with Gabriel's words. And then what comes next in verse 38 is absolutely beautiful. Mary's heart is laid bare on the floor, ready to be used by God. She is entirely submitted to the Lord. She is ready to work and be used by God. And she says, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Did she know what she was saying? Did she know what she was agreeing to or what this would mean for her? All of a sudden, she was employed to be, to raise God's son. She was employed at that moment to raise God's son. Did she know what she was getting into? Do you think she thought, well, first I want to get married and then I want to travel with my husband and then work for a few years and buy a house and get a dog and after that maybe get pregnant and have a couple children, maybe adopt a couple more? Or do you think she thought, oh, I have to finish my education first. I'm not ready for this. This is too soon. I'm too young. This isn't what I wanted for my life. What will everyone think? This is bad timing. Do you think she played the victim card? Do you think she thought, this isn't fair. My life is ruined. How could God do this to me? Now all this may sound hyperbolic to you, but this is exactly what we do. And it is sinful. We are to love what God loves, and we are to be there at His service, at His command. Mary didn't play the victim card. In fact, she asked no further questions. Her only question was, how can this be since I am a virgin? It wasn't for any lack of faith. At least I don't believe it to be. Otherwise, she would have ended up mute like Zacharias did when he failed to believe the angel and questioned. Her question was simply trying to comprehend how this could happen in relation to her basic understanding of biology. How can this be since I am a virgin? That was her only question. Knowing full well that when she went to Walmart and her belly was bulging, that she would be judged as breaking the law, guilty to be stoned. Because she had unlawful relations with a man knowing full well that she would experience pain and have to make great sacrifices, training up the holy child who was God. On the other hand, there is much uncertainty, so much that she wouldn't know or couldn't prepare herself for. And yet, she had faith. She said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord may it be done to me according to your word. And this is what Christian faith looks like. It doesn't dwell on the unknowns, but rather it listens to God's voice and His will and obeys. Was Mary fearful? Did she have anxieties? Did she fear what people would think of her? 
Yes, you better believe it. But she had faith and says, May it be done to me according to your word. When trials come, oh, that we would say, Lord, you know. You know all things. Do with me what you will. I am your servant. This is humility. And Mary's desire was to magnify the Lord. For her to be small and for him to be big. And so after this, what did she do? She went to share her joy. She did what every woman would and should not to do. Share the news. How could she keep this thing to herself? How could she not acknowledge the greatness of what God had done? It would be unchristian to withhold such joy. So she went with haste to the hill country, to the city of Judah, to see her cousin Elizabeth, to share in the good news, to rejoice with one another, to strengthen each other. This is what Christians do, after all. They rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And when, verse 41, Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And later, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Do you think Mary was encouraged by this dear sister? Yes, absolutely. All the time that Mary had to think and doubt while she was traveling in haste. What encouragement Elizabeth must have brought to her. But notice something else. Elizabeth said, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. By, yes, by the Lord. Well, why wouldn't she believe something that had been spoken to her by the Lord? Why wouldn't she? I don't know. Ask yourself that. Why would you not believe something that was spoken to you by the Lord? We have this good book here called The Word of God. These are His words spoken to us by His Holy Spirit through men. Why would we doubt it? Why would we not believe it? Why would we not obey it? The Lord says that His Word will not come back to Him empty without accomplishing what He desires. And so we should believe it. All of it. And Elizabeth does not take for granted that Mary would believe. Think of the whole Old Testament history and how often God's people didn't believe the prophets, but rather killed them. Elizabeth knows full well that faith and obedience can't be taken for granted. And in turn, she blesses her, saying, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. What encouragement Mary received, and what encouragement Elizabeth received from Mary's presence. This was the happiest meeting there ever was between two, meeting, two women who were both overjoyed at the miracles they were sharing with one another. 
and what a joy it is to share in God's blessings. And so what did Mary do? She broke out in what was likely a song, giving all the glory to God. And in doing so, aided by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, she shows her great familiarity with the Scriptures and that she was a woman of the Word. And what I want to show you now is that Mary wasn't saying anything new. Even the only two verses from this passage that are considered direct quotations from other Scriptures, the ones that are in all caps. Are they up there? you'll see that everything is drawn from Scripture, showing us the fulfillments of Scripture and the great mercy that God has had on every generation. Now Mary's song begins almost identically to that of Hannah's in 1 Samuel 2. Remember, Hannah was barren and prayed and prayed for a child. And she promised to God, should He give her a child, that she would dedicate him to the service of the Lord. And so, God gave graciously to her according to her desire. And after she had weaned her son, Samuel, she dedicated him to the Lord with thankfulness and said, My heart exalts the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Mary, likewise, exalts the Lord and rejoices in God her Savior, saying, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. And so these two women, Hannah and Mary, model for us what every Christian must do. That is, sing with thankfulness to God for our salvation. James 5.13 says, Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. And Mary does so with her soul and her spirit. Now this is a very difficult thing to explain, let alone comprehend what the difference is between the soul and the spirit. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Scripture describes man as having body, soul, and spirit. We know that our souls will never die. And Scripture tells us that our souls also express emotion. Psalm 42.5 speaks of the soul, saying, Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him for the help of His presence. And concerning the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 2.11 says, For who among men knows the thoughts of a man? except the spirit of the man which is in him. Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the spirit of God. So the best I can come up with is that the spirit has knowledge because it knows the thoughts of the inner man. And although Scripture uses the words soul and spirit in various ways, in this context, the soul is likely the affections And the Spirit is the knowledge that produces those affections. So in this passage, Mary praises God with her soul saying, My soul exalts the Lord as a result of her rejoicing in the knowledge 
of God, her Savior. This thought caused her to break out into song. Mary rejoiced in God, her Savior. And that is the only way she could know such pure joy by having faith in Christ as her Savior, by hoping in Him. Otherwise, she would remain in doubt and anxiety and would never be satisfied. God is her Savior, and she immediately confesses this in her song. She recognizes herself as a sinner. If it were not so, then why would she rejoice in God, her Savior? She wouldn't need one. She needed a Savior, and she rejoiced in Him. And as the angel Gabriel told her, His name is Jesus, which means Savior. The next verse, verse 48, is typical of the hymn style of poetry. She had already expressed her praise in verses 46 and 47. And then in verse 48, she goes on to give the reasoning for it. She says, For he has had regard for the humble state of his bondslave. Another way of saying it is that he looked on her with care. He looked on her low estate and cared for her. This is what God does in His mercy for all Christians. Not for the righteous, but for those sinners who humble themselves before the Savior. He looks on them. He regards their low estate. He raises them up and gives them a new name, which is the name Christian. This is His saving work. It wasn't that Mary humbled herself so much that God decided to save her. But rather, God caused Mary to understand the lowliness of her estate, that she was a sinner in need of a Savior, and He looked on her with compassion and rescued her. And knowing how she had been blessed in Christ, which was beyond anything she had ever deserved, She looks to the future saying, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. And such is the way it happened. For example, in Luke 27, while Jesus was, excuse me, Luke 11, 27, while Jesus was preaching, a woman called out and said, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. And Jesus diverts away from the physical blessing to the spiritual, saying, On the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. For what is it to have physical blessings without the spiritual? It's nothing. Mary was blessed, just as Elizabeth said. Blessed is she that believed And Mary's belief resulted in obedience. And then in her song, moving from the blessings that she will receive from all generations, she says the reasoning for it in verse 49. She says, because because she is holy and immaculate. No. Rather, she exalts God. It is because the Mighty One, the One who has conquered sin and death, has done it for her and to her. 
Holy is His name. Deuteronomy 10.21 says, He is your praise and He is your God who has done these great and awesome things for you which your eyes have seen. And Psalm 71.19 says, For your righteousness, O God, reaches to the heavens. You have done great things. O God, who is like you? And Psalm 126.1-2, When the Lord brought back the captive ones of Zion, we were like those of, who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with joyful shouting. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. Can you imagine such joy being released from captivity, being brought back to your homeland? They were filled with joy because the Lord had done this. And this is exactly how it was for Mary and the Jews of that time and for the whole world. The people in darkness have seen a great light. The captives were being set free. It was a dark time, but the Lord remembered His mercy and did this mighty work. Then the mouths of His people were filled with joyful shouting, proclaiming the good news, which has not stopped since the day Jesus was born. Mary then expands upon the fact that blessing comes through faith. She says, His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear Him. Likely quoted from Psalm 103, verse 17, which says, But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him, and His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember His precepts to do them. The blessing of God's mercy is for those who fear Him. It is for those who keep His covenant and remember His precepts to do them. If there were more time, I would read to you Psalm 103 in its entirety, but instead I'll read several verses to help you understand what Mary's song is all about. Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all, who are oppressed, and so on. And we see all these concepts in this song. And this is the great mercy of God. Mary, just like David the psalmist, is expressing His mercy, the mercy of the God who pardons iniquities, heals diseases, redeems your life, crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, and satisfies you. He loves the oppressed, and performs righteous deeds for them. What a merciful Father. And finally, from verse 50 and following, the hymn moves away from the personal 
toward a general dealing with God's people. These truths are the past, present, and future, showing his faithfulness to all generations. He isn't a God who stands from afar. He is a God who is intimately involved in his work. The song says, He has done mighty deeds with his arm. And these are the very words from Scripture. Psalm 89, verses 13 and 14 says, You have a strong arm. Your hand is mighty. Your right hand is exalted. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. And surely Mary treasured the story of what God did with Pharaoh and the Egyptians. When the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for under compulsion he will let them go, referring to the Jews, and under compulsion he will drive them out of his land. Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. This is the God who Mary sings of. Who, do, who does mighty deeds with his arm, who scatters the proud with the flood waters, who brings down rulers off their throne like Pharaoh, who rescues the slave, who sets the prisoner free, who heals the sick, who feeds the poor, who fills the hungry with good things, including every spiritual blessing. And he sends the rich away with nothing, empty-handed. He raises up the lowly and makes them his own. He finds the lost sheep and carries them at his breast and brings them into the fold. He takes those who are not his people and makes them his own. And he continues in his mercy on them. He helps his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, just as he promised to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. What love our Father has for his children. Why do we doubt him? Why do we not trust his provision? He is faithful. He is always faithful. He is faithful now. And always believe him, submit to him. You don't need to know what the outcome will be. If you just trust him, you will be satisfied. It is true. I want to end with one scripture, one more scripture that will strengthen your faith. Isaiah 41, verses 8-14 through 14 says, 
But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its remotest parts and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who are angered at you will be shamed and dishonored. Those who contend with you will be as nothing and will perish. You will seek those who quarrel with you, but will not find them. Those who war with you will be as nothing and non-existent. For I am the Lord your God, who upholds your right hand, who says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. Do not fear, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. I will help you, declares the Lord. And your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Christian, just like the angel Gabriel said to Mary, do not be afraid. We have a mighty Savior. He will help. He will save us. He will raise us up. He will put down our enemies. He will scatter the proud. And he will fill us with good things. If you are a Christian, you need not fear. You have only to believe and to obey. If you are not a Christian, if you do not love God, you have much to fear. For God will do to you what Mary sung of in these verses. For there is no salvation without judgment. Otherwise, if there were no judgment, why would we need to be saved? The Lord will do as He promises. So, brothers and sisters, believers and unbelievers, those who are weak in faith, I call on you today to humble yourself, as Mary did, before the mighty hand of God, and He will exalt you. He will lift you up. He will satisfy you. He will provide for you. He will lead you. And He will do to you according to His will. And if you trust in Him, the Lord will give you strength. And you will be able to say, may it be done to me according to your word. And then, with thankfulness, exalt the Lord. Saying as the psalmist said, O magnify, O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. May the Lord be with you and give you strength. Let's pray. Most merciful Father, what strength and encouragement we have received from your word this morning.
Father, we thank you for these two women of faith who have encouraged our faith even today. Lord, there is nothing that happens in this universe that is outside of your sovereign plan, no matter how unexpected it comes for us. And we ask, Lord, that you please help our unbelief. Would you give us faith? Would you cause us to not be afraid that we would not fear the future, but that we would be fully submitted to your will wherever you might have us to go, whatever you would have us to say or do. Cause us to believe and not to fear, we pray. Strengthen us with your mighty hand and cause your Holy Spirit to rest upon us, to strengthen us for the work of your kingdom. It is in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whom we pray. Amen.